You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hi, everybody. This is Rick Hadrava. I am your host for the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Whether you're listening for the first time or been listening for a while, just want to let you know how much we appreciate you tuning in, and we thank you for your attention and your time. You know, I think today's show is going to be a lot of fun, um, as I always try to make them fun, but uh, my guest today, Bill Young, is the head of strategic partnerships and sponsorships at Twitch. If you don't know what Twitch is, don't worry, we're going to cover that today. Um, But I like this guest because we're going to spend some time talking about some of the technology and the platforms that are out there that, quite frankly, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, didn't exist. And what is happening in the entrepreneurial, excuse me, the entrepreneurial space um, that is being taken, taken advantage of. So with that, let me just start by giving a little background on Bill. His responsibilities today at Twitch include marketing and sales solutions for brands that are using the Twitch platform to reach esports audiences. And if you're not familiar with esports, we'll be sure to cover that today as well. Uh, But Bill's path to Twitch began kind of uniquely, and you have to go all the way back to 1996 when he and his rock and roll band left Oklahoma for the bright lights and in search of fame and fortune in San Francisco, California. During this time, Bill and his friends were unaware of the dot-com boom that was emerging in the tech sector out in California at the time, but it didn't take long before they found themselves deep in the epicenter of what was going on. So from rock and roll to startups to marketing and sale of online platforms, Bill's journey has definitely been an intriguing one, and it's one that I think you'll find uh, not only interesting, but we'll have a lot of fun with on the show. So without further ado, let's welcome to the show, Bill Young. Bill, thank you for joining us on the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, Bill, first of all, um, I think for our audience, why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about Twitch and what that organization actually does and who they are? Sure. So uh, Twitch is essentially a live streaming platform. I, I should actually say it's an interactive live streaming platform because that's a, a really key differentiator between Twitch and a lot of the other platforms out there, out there that allow you to stream video live. So, so Twitch started in 2011 as Justin TV, um, and it was basically a guy, Justin Kahn, who um, thought it would be a funny, clever, fun thing to do to essentially live stream his life 24 hours a day, um, very much like the uh, Ed TV movie. Uh, he went on dates. He brushed his teeth. He did all the things that you do, um, you know, as a twenty-something in San Francisco. And the content just started taking off. And then other people wanted to do it too. You know, they they would upload or they'd start live streaming various types of content. In fact, uh, during that time, there were a lot of sports games that were getting getting live streamed uh, illegally. I would say. Um, so basically, people were uh, in different markets like essentially broadcasting sports from other parts of the country so that fans around the world could basically watch these these games. Um, but 
that wasn't the main content that was taking off. The the actual content that people were really, really interested in, the category that, that took off was video games. And that's a rather non-intuitive thing for a lot of people. Um, the idea of watching somebody else play video games, it sounds nuts. However, um, think, think about this. I mean, if you're going to watch a football game, maybe you played football in high school. Uh, but you're you're watching somebody play football every Sunday, every Saturday. Um, same thing with just about any other sport. You're watching people that are the best at what they do enjoy themselves, you know, at the highest level. And so, you know, it, that's kind of the same thing with with video games and esports. But um, what ended up happening was people were really getting into uh, watching other people play, not just because they were good at it, but also because they were entertaining. And that created this whole new sort of genre of performer or celebrity, even in a lot of cases, where essentially you've got somebody who is live streaming themselves playing video games and then, uh, you know, talking over it while they're doing it. But then because of the chat feature that's on the side, uh, you know, everyone's kind of talking amongst themselves, but also talking to the broadcaster themselves and it started to become this conversation. Well, that just immediately resonated with, uh, with a whole generation of sort of web 2.0 um, you know, viewers, and uh, it's just been phenomenal ride ever since. I mean, to now to the point where at any given time on Twitch, there's a million unique individuals uh, watching. We actually have uh, over 3 million channels or 3 million different creators that are active each month. And, uh, you know, the content is starting to uh, diversify quite a bit outside of video games to what we call gaming adjacent. And that's things like sports, music. Uh, we have a lot of people that do like cooking shows, um, you know, all sorts of uh, like fashion and art and creators, uh, you know, making all kinds of different things. Um, but it's just sort it's starting to diversify and, and start taking on a life of its own. It's really hard to even sort of contain anymore because it's a platform that allows you to do whatever you want to do and do it live and interact with your viewers. I think that's, that's excellent. So really, whether, I, so if I'm a baseball player today, um, you're talking about sports as a player individually. Does somebody is somebody recording me playing the baseball game and there's interaction or is this simply watching a baseball game, watching somebody comment on a baseball game and then interacting with that person? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting distinction. So um, for the most part, it's usually a single person sitting at a desk with a, a webcam on them a microphone and a headset and they're typically uh, often they'll have a green screen behind them um, so that you can see what they're playing so like let's say they're playing League of Legends um, you'll be able to see the gameplay that, that they're doing uh, you'll be able to see them because they're sort of you know uh, they're they're sort of their head is <laughs> sort of sitting above the content because um, the green screen behind them and uh, so typically you're seeing their face but you're also and you're hearing them talk but you're also seeing what they're doing that can vary to some degree depending on what the person is actually doing. Um, you know, the cooking shows are very much, you know, very much like what you'd see on cable TV. Um, there's usually somebody with a either a, a handheld camera or a fixed camera, and people are, you know, just talking through their their process and their ingredients. But the the kind of clever twist there is that communal viewing aspect that happens from Twitch. So let's say you've got a thousand people watching you on your cooking show, you might ask them, you know. Uh, do you tend to like things, uh, you know, spicier or more mild when you're cooking? 
do you add spice later and things like that. And so people start to respond and chat. The person broadcasting can see everything that everybody's saying and then respond back. And typically what they'll do is they'll, you know, call out the person's, um, you know, tag, their, their name. And, um, you know, that, that adds like this kind of weird sense of uh, like satisfaction when somebody that you're watching uh, on TV or on a screen uh, immediately sort of reacts to something that you've said or a question that you had. This is, I mean, I've been at Twitch now for just, just about two and a half years. Um, but the, I still get this amazing sense of satisfaction when, when I do it. Uh, sometimes there's like, so there's this one guy, he, his channel is uh, Hitch Live. He hitchhikes across the country, across the, the world. I mean, he was in Japan at one point and I tuned in and he's in a tent on the side of the road and he's just live streaming and uh, talking, you know, he's on his phone, just live streaming. And uh, I just chimed in and I, I asked him where he was in Japan and he piped back that he's just outside of Kyoto. And he, we started like having this conversation over, over chat, uh, me chatting, him actually just responding. Um, which was incredibly cool. He was in Japan at the time. I'm in San Francisco and, you know, this conversation is happening and other people are, are joining in for it. Um, another one that was a lot of fun too, there's a streamer named Megan Lanius and she's a, uh, a guitarist and singer, very, very strong singer. And uh, I chimed in one day and uh, asked her to play a song. It was uh, Hallelujah by, um, uh, oh, shoot, can't remember his name. I, I know the song. I couldn't tell you the yeah the artist, but so I'm assuming that she Leonard, Leonard Cohen. Okay, Leonard and Cohen. She, yeah. So and she chimed and she started playing it. She just kind of went right into it and and gave her own rendition of it. And then she thanked me afterwards for requesting it because it's a song that she loves. So so Bill, uh, I'm you know I'm having an epiphany here. What I hear you saying is as an art, it's an artist platform as well, where you actually get to interact with your fan base or if I have a cooking show or some other sort of um, so, like I, I see this business. This is a consumer direct interaction platform. It is. It is very much um, so. I, it's probably important to note that the vast majority of this content is people playing video games and other people watching and interacting with that person who's playing video games. Um, that said, there's a rapid diversification of the content. There's a company in San Francisco uh, named Beta Brand. And Beta Brand is a, a really, really clever, innovative clothing company. Very small company, but um, you've probably seen some other stuff because they're they're so innovative. They have these uh, wraparound corduroys where the corduroy goes horizontally instead of vertically uh, <laughs> on the pants. <laughs> uh, they have like uh, disco ball suits, basically entire suits made out of uh, sort of reflective material. Um, and then, you know, that's some of the more silly, uh, you know, kind of gimmicky stuff. But then they have uh, like the little black dress. They have a million different versions of the little black dress and uh you know hoodies and jackets and all the like traveler pants that have you know extra pockets and are basically designed for you to be on the road um really clever company not just in terms of of their clothing but also in that they crowdsource a lot of the uh green light process so they uh, allow you to um essentially upvote and support um different people's designs like 
third-party designs that want their that want Breda brand to produce and distribute and sell the clothing. So that in itself is extraordinarily innovative. But what they also have done recently is they've created a Twitch stream. And so every Friday at, I think it's about 9 o'clock, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time, they essentially do what amounts to a QVC-style show. They have a couple hosts. They talk about the clothing. Um, the channel is live on Twitch, and people are asking questions. But they've also embedded the Twitch player on their uh, uh, company website. So that's creating a community around their product, which is amazing. Like some, so people are, are finding it on Twitch and asking questions and potentially buying clothing. But they're also driving viewers uh, and customers, frankly, to their website uh, where they're going to get some backstory on the various pieces of clothing that perhaps they're interested in buying, which, you know, you don't get that from the Gap or Banana Republic, um, but you get that from, uh, you get that from Beta Brand and you can ask questions and they go through like in detail all the different variations on the product. Now imagine, you know, imagine if uh, you are an entrepreneur and you've got some sort of product uh, held service doesn't matter. I mean, just think about if you've got a the potential to have a loyal fan base of some sort. Um, being able to talk to them in real time in mass is really powerful. Well, not only can you help um, build your brand, but I, I, I'm looking at I'm thinking of applications for um, customer satisfaction, and I mean, talk about you know ref referability and endorsements from your audience. Um, I, this just this blows my mind, but it's one of the reasons that I was so interested, uh, Bill, in talking with you is, you know, for entrepreneurs today, we think a lot of times uh, in business in the old paradigms, and I'm really looking at platforms like Twitch and seeing a more scalable, cheaper way to, to test a brand, if you will, or test an idea. Um, to build your audience and, and turn that into something um, is so really, really interesting. I want to circle back to close the loop on eSports. So eSports um, in the context of Twitch and what we, when we hear the word eSports, is that only, is that in only the gaming um, genre that we're, we're talking about eSports? Uh, yeah, but it, in, it, it's interesting. There's there's a few outliers in that. Um, it's all gaming for sure because esports is is absolutely about the competitive nature of of gaming. Um, in some cases, though, like with Magic the Gathering, it's actually a physical card. So it's uh, instead of instead of esports, I guess you could call it c sports. You know, it's actually a deck of cards, and um, you know, it's an extraordinarily popular uh, popular game. Um, uh, really hardcore. Like it's the, you know, the rules are kind of tough to learn and it's one of those things that when people are extraordinarily good at it and if you're interested in that sort of uh, game genre and if you go to any game store like proper board game and card game store, which there are plenty of in the US, um, they typically host live events there because it creates community for themselves. Um, Magic is one of the sort of standbys. It's like, you know, is um, uh, if you were going to name any of you know the the most popular uh, games that are more physical and as opposed to digital, it's definitely up there. I mean, it's up there with uh, you know all the the bigger board games and and whatnot. Even you know Pokemon, it's it's up there with uh, all those. Okay, well, um, fascinating because I didn't realize that Twitch was was such a large platform. 
it it begs a question in my mind. Um, you know, you've been there two and a half years. You obviously have a background in the technology space. Where does a platform like Twitch go, or what's the future look like? Where do you think the consumer goes, and that platform um, evolves three, four years from now? So on the on the esports front, it's only getting bigger and bigger, uh, and the reason for that is, or there's a variety of reasons for it. Um, but the, I mean, you have to think of it this way. Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, kind of dispute the word esports um, because they think it's not a real sport, or they think that it's, you know, if you're not sweating, it's not a sport. If there's not a ball, it's not a sport. There's all these um, positions people take. Um, the reality of it, and especially, you know, from the viewpoint of the various uh, established sports leagues, is, you know, the average age of the esports fan is is 28 years old. The average age of the average uh, PGA Tour fan is 64 years old. Yeah. Think of that gap there. So, you know, <laughs> I think that the, the closest, I think the closest major league to esports is Major League Soccer at like 34. Um, I think NBA is uh, next at probably around 38 or 40. NFL is early 50s. Um, so, you know, all these leagues have not done a very good job of keeping up the uh, the next generation of their fans. Um, and esports fans don't really differentiate between these. They might be an NFL fan. They might be an MLB fan. Uh, they might be a Overwatch or Fortnite fan. You know, like they may be into games and, in you know, watching other people play video games in the exact same way. And their viewing habits are the exact same as, you know, them watching Golden State Warriors. Absolutely. Well, you, you say that my 13 year old son, um, who is a Fortnite fan, um, is also a huge Twitch fan. And when he found out that I was going to have you on, uh, my stock just went up, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it, and you hit on it. It's really that next generation. It's that population. Um, and, and as a consumer, man, they're going to they're going to have disposable income. Uh, and there's going to be opportunity for entrepreneurs that are taking advantage of that. Um, but let, Bill, let's pivot for a second because sure. this, this is fascinating. I think I think our audience has a good understanding, um, somewhat of, of what Twitch is. I want to go back and I want you to share with us a little bit about your journey. You know, let let's go back to the rock and roll days. And 1996 and this vision that you and your buddies had to leave Oklahoma and head for the bright lights of San Francisco. Um, I'm curious of a couple things. Why San Francisco over like a Nashville, Los Angeles or New York? And, you know, what was it that you thought you were pursuing in making that making that move? Yeah, those are those are great questions. Um, so, yeah, so it's 1996. We are uh, doing pretty well locally as a band. We were, you know, playing a few nights a week at very good sort of, you know, bar and small venue situations in Oklahoma City and Tulsa and Stillwater and Norman. Um, had a decent following. You know, we had a, a good amount of people that would show up to each show, uh, but it was a sort of empty in a way because the market size was so small and we just kind of this is again imagine this you know at this time we didn't have email addresses we were unaware of 
anything that was around the corner. Um, had we known that, we may have actually stayed there. Had we known that there was going to be a YouTube and a, you know, a Napster and that these things were going to be happening, I, I could see us actually having stayed there because you could be anywhere and do that. But back then, you couldn't. You had to be someplace in a market that was um, that was big enough to be you know discovered. Uh, that's how we thought it was. And so, uh, you know, we, a few of us, not the, the whole band didn't make the journey, but, um, three of us did. And, uh, you know, we packed up into a, into a van with uh, two dogs, 11 guitars, and we each had one garbage bag full of clothes and very little amount of money and, uh, just he headed west. It took us a few days, but we finally, um, finally made it out here. And by the time I got here, I think I had about, uh, $300 total to my name um and uh yeah that was a that was a rough start but you're asking um you know like why san francisco and and the answer to that is maybe a little bit embarrassing and maybe almost like uh antithetical to a lot of people who are entrepreneurs but the question that i asked myself was where do i want to fail because i knew for a fact <laughs> i mean it was like a 90 Five, 99% chance that we weren't going to make it. Not because we were a bad band. I'd like to think that we were pretty good. Um, but just because the, you know, the sheer numbers of people that are trying to become rock stars or that move to LA and are trying to become, you know, famous actors or, you know, whatever your, your profession that causes you to sort of migrate like that. We all, we all kind of knew that we were going to be doing this for the love of it and we're going to give it our best shot and try to become, you know, professional full-time musicians. But it was probably unlikely. So where did we want to be when that happened? And um, yeah. Well, what I, Bill, my question, first of all, that's a great um, statement. Where do I want to fail? Um, and, and I mean that in the context of, you know, we don't we don't need to go out with the idea that, oh, this is going to fail. Um, but what you were thinking is, I, I, I think and, and correct me. But I think I understand you saying, where was the best opportunity for me to, to, to change my path um, if this doesn't work out? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I, gave it, I gave you the very sort of personal colloquial version of that story. I think the, uh, the other way of thinking about it is essentially like, um, what else do I want to do with my life? Where do I want to be? Um, you know. I guess now in that context, I'd be thinking, you know, am I working where I'm living or am I living where I'm working? Um, but back then it was kind of more, you know, sort of open sea sort of question because I have no idea what I'm doing with my life yet. I'm just, you know, a 26 year old, you know, recent college graduate idiot and <laughs> trying to find out what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, the idea of moving to a, Los Angeles and, and wind up, you know, kind of like li living there full time just didn't excite me back then. I think that LA is probably a little bit more alluring to me now, but back then it just seemed like the opposite of where I wanted to be. Um, Austin was, was in contention for a while, but it seemed too close, even though it was such a great music city, it just seemed too close to home. I think we kind of wanted to get out of the nest as for lack of a better phrase. Um, remove the safety net a little bit, go someplace where we don't know anybody. Um, and so there was something really sort of exciting about that, you know, of, of jumping into the deep end and, and uh, you know, sink or swim and, and figure it out. And, and we did, you know, like we, we got here, we, um, the first step was just 
try to find a, a house. But um, like you mentioned in the, the intro, the dot uh, com explosion was was going on, and you know we had no idea about that. So we'd go to a house, and um, you know there'd be forty people out front trying to rent that house. It's you know it's not a nice house. This is, <laughs> this is not a nice house that these forty people are standing out in front of. And they've got envelopes with, uh, you know, six months worth of rent and cash in them. They're carrying bouquets of flowers. They're, I mean, they're doing whatever they need to do to get this house because the market was so tight back then. That month that we moved here, there were 60,000 new people that had moved to the Bay Area. Um, so that, I mean, that was just like a gold rush. People were just coming here nonstop trying to get into the dot com. And of course, we showed up and had, you know, just by happenstance, ended up in San Francisco. <laughs> Quite yeah. an experience for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, my first job here was waiting tables at Planet Hollywood. Um, you know, that lasted for probably about a year or so before it was just overwhelming to, you know, I just couldn't make enough money to to pay rent out here and uh, live any sort of life. It was fun. I met a lot of great people that I'm still friends with at that job, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't getting me, getting me anywhere. And so I started working in publishing. I, I got a job at a, a small uh, magazine that was owned by Scholastic Books at the time. Um, and that kind of opened my eyes a little bit that there's this other stuff that I could be doing that's also fun. And in fact, it was a, probably about 2003 or so where the day job started to actually become a little bit more fun and rewarding than the band. And that's coincidentally, maybe, uh, when we sort of called it quits and I uh, started sort of focusing more of my time on, on the, the, the career, the professional career. So, um, you know, I'm th as you're telling me the story, I'm thinking back to what you said earlier about, you know, if I hadn't, um, if I had YouTube and Napster had been around, then maybe I would have done this back home. And I think that's part of the point with Twitch even is, you know, technology and the platforms that exist today give entrepreneurs um, a different approach to, you know, it, it, it isn't get in your van and go, um, which by the way, I have to imagine Bill today, if you were to go back and relive that experience at this age, uh, you'd probably go at it a, a little differently. I know I would, um, because it's one thing to be in my twenties and not be attached to anything and be able to take those risks. Um, but as you get older and you're, you're anchored to more things and more responsibilities, it's harder to, to, to launch those entrepreneurial desires or those dreams, whether it's a rock star or, um, you know, I'll use cooking, you know, as an example, since we've touched on that. Um, so, so I'm kind of curious, you know, what, if you had to go back and do it again today, um, at your age, uh, a, would you, right. And, and, um, how would, how would you approach it differently today? Yeah, it's an, a really interesting uh, question. I think that the main thing that I would do differently would be uh, be a little bit smarter about how my time was spent and, you know, trying to be more efficient with uh, advancing the music career, or, you know, any sort of career, I suppose. Um, you know, the, the really sad irony was when I was you know, 20s and trying to become a, a, a rock star, the, uh, I didn't know anybody in the music business. 
And, you know, now when I have no, no way to benefit from it, I know lots of people in the music business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think if I were trying to do that again, I, I, I could, you know, see probably taking kind of more of a uh, networking approach. Um, when I was younger, I think there was very much a uh, kind of this weird, you know, maybe grunge era feeling of wanting to be successful, but also not wanting to look like I'm wanting to be successful. Um, and so that I think caused us to be a little bit sort of cynical. Um, uh, you know, if you were an industry person, we probably didn't want to talk to you because you're too much the man. <laughs> uh, we had a very, you know, punk ethos, I suppose, in that regard. But, uh, you know, looking back on that, that's really very silly. Why would you try to, to be successful in something but eschew the success, you know, as it potentially approaches you? Um, so the things I would do differently, I think, would be I'd have a clearer goal in mind. And I would think maybe a little bit more pragmatically about how to achieve it instead of letting, uh, you know, my own sort of, I don't know, emotion or uh, hangups dictate and limit, limit what I'm trying to do. Very, very good point. And, you know, that's, um, that's one thing I've seen business owners, um, a lot of times they're, you know, the ones that have a hard time, um, trying to let go because of ego or, or just, you know, their inherent thoughts that maybe aren't real, right. But, but they're what they think. Um, they have a, they have a tendency to constrain new opportunities for them or, or yeah. bigger opportunities. And that's what I hear you I hear you saying. Well, so Bill, so you guys broke up, um, you were doing some publishing work. Um, I know you've been around some of the startup um, environment out there. Tell, tell us, you know, kind of that gap between the breakup of the band and your entry into Twitch. What were you doing? How were you spending your time out there? Sure. So, uh, so while the band was active and probably at our, our peak of activity and, and whatnot, uh, I was working at a startup within a large company called uh, Shockwave.com. And Shockwave.com was a um, uh, like a platform for games and uh, very casual games for the most part, and then like videos and things like that. But it was really all based on Macromedia's technology of Flash and Shockwave. Um, and the, the site existed for Macromedia's purpose of getting developers to use that product, um, even though it was very much an entertainment um, platform. Um, but I, I was selling uh, advertising for Shockwave, and that got me exposed to the idea of, of in-game advertising because we did some of the very first in-game advertising um, by putting like uh, you know logos on the pool felt on a, a 3D pool game like a, a billiards table. Um, so Shockwave was one of the, you know, many, many victims of the dot bomb. And the dot bomb affected us in uh, June of 2001. About 150 out of 180 employees were let go one day. And uh, for the next 18 months, actually, uh, because the economy was so bad out here, uh, for the next 18 months, I was actually just doing, you know, spare jobs here and there, just temp jobs and uh, I, I wrote a nature documentary about the uh, sardine migration in South Africa uh, that you can find somewhere online or boring eighth graders in Iowa somewhere. 
And uh, I was a photographer for a few Nike shoots. Um, I did a, you know, just basically whatever I could do to, to not have to move back to Oklahoma. I was trying to uh, pay my rent. And so um, finally I got a, a proper job in 2003 uh, at Ziff Davis Game Group, which Ziff Davis puts out, you know, or time had uh, PC Magazine and a bunch of other big technology brands uh, as, as their print magazines. But then they also had this game group. And if you're familiar with gaming magazines, they had all the big ones of the day. It was, uh, you know, Electronic Gaming Monthly, Computer Gaming World, Official PlayStation Magazine, like all these really great, great magazines, but they didn't have a, a website. And so uh, we created a website at uh, Ziff Davis called OneUp. And OneUp was essentially a place for all of that content from the magazines to live in a digital format. Uh, you know, that was kind of revolutionary at the time. It was a social network as well as a... Um, as well as just like a, a gaming website. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't quite as successful as the other social network that was formed in 2004. Um, but it did, it did pretty well. Um, <laughs> but so then, so then the, um, you know, the, the launch went, went well and the site was doing well, but I was uh, kind of really getting more interested in the in-game in advertising business. And so I went to a startup uh, called Massive Incorporated. And Massive Incorporated did uh, essentially dynamic in-game advertising, which was serving live serving ads into video games. So imagine you're in a in a driving game, and uh, you go past past a billboard, and it's a progressive insurance billboard. The next time you come around the lap, maybe it turned ten o'clock, and all of a sudden it's the Taco Bell late night menu on the billboard. So they were they were digital advertising that was being served into the games. Um, it got a lot of notoriety in the uh, run-up to the 2008 election uh, because Obama actually bought a ton of ads in in video games, and um, you know we we that was a pretty big moment for us. In fact, just recent or just prior to that, Microsoft bought Massive, so you know for, for quite a large amount of money. So Microsoft buys Massive, uh, sort of envelops it into their Xbox team. Um, Unfortunately, that Xbox team wasn't, I don't think, too too thrilled about having this other sales force there. So eventually it kind of faded out and they ended up shutting uh, Massive down. Uh, but in that time, that in that in during that transition, I had moved over to Electronic Arts. And at Electronic Arts, I was running the in and around game advertising business. So uh, I say in and around uh, because like most of what I was doing was the in-game stuff. It was, you know, if a character in a game was holding a phone, um, was it going to be a T-Mobile sidekick or was it going to be a Nokia? Like, so we would do those deals with the brands to, to integrate them into the game. Um, but that's like, it was a lot of work and the developers, game developers hated it. Uh, they hated it because it took a lot of time to do and it really wasn't worth it to them. So like, you know, they have a, they have a job to do. They've got a game that they've got to get out the door. And, um, you know, then this, these sales guys show up with, you know, not enough money to justify the amount of time uh, that it was going to take away from from their job, so I started focusing on around game stuff, and that led me to things like uh, web series and TV shows and uh, mobile platforms, where you know it created a uh, a uh, tablet magazine for the Sims franchise, uh, where fans of the Sims would basically go in and and learn all about all the new products available to them in in the Sims games. Um, but yeah, we did uh, a variety of of web series and TV shows and things like that. We had some shows on ESPN around the making of NCAA football. Um, 
just lots of different kinds of content that were about video games. They weren't video games themselves. They were just about video games. And brands, I think, recognized that the marketing of video games was in and of itself entertainment. And they wanted to be there for it. They wanted to help present this information and this entertainment to fans of video games, which was starting to get legitimized at that point as a viable advertising category. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that uh, that concept of integrating brands into this sort of ancillary gaming content is very much what Twitch is now. Um, okay. Twitch, yeah, I mean, Twitch is a uh, you know platform where you've got you know three million different people a month broadcasting themselves playing all kinds of different video games, and we integrate advertising into those experiences so that brands can communicate their messages to the fans of video games. So, in a lot of ways, this is a a very much a legitimization of of all the things that we were doing, you know, ten fifteen years ago, and it absolutely gave you an opportunity to continue to be creative, which is one thing I've known about you for a very long time. Is you're a creative person, Bill? <clears throat> that's great, and we're we're getting close towards the end of that the show. But I feel like I wouldn't be doing my job um, as somebody that is promoting. Um, entrepreneurs, but but specifically over 50 entrepreneurs, I got to ask you about this whole sardine migration project um, <laughs> because, you know, because there's your creative and you turn that into obviously a paycheck. Um, can you give us a short little story on what that was all about and and how it turned into whatever it turned into? There's there's a story there and I feel like I'd I'd be, uh, I'd be in trouble if I didn't ask. Yeah. So, uh, so I had nothing to do. <laughs> I was unemployed and had no money, so I had nothing to do. Um, and uh, a friend of mine who does video production for things like HGTV and you know other cable shows, uh, she knew some some guys at this production company in San Francisco that uh, apparently had uh, forty hours of uh, material from a shoot in South Africa covering a sardine migration called the Great Sardine Run. And it happens every June. Every June, the sardines migrate uh, north up the coast of South Africa. And uh, while that seems kind of boring, what happens is it's basically a, a giant uh, buffet. You know, so, so the sardines move up in, in mass and sharks, whales, dolphins, birds, people, are all trying to get these sardines and they're not little sardines. They're like, you know, 10, 12 inch meaty sardines. And, uh, it just becomes like this, like crazy, you know, nature show essentially. Um, so this team had created, uh, it had shot about 40 million, sorry, 40 hours of content and this production company owned the content and they were looking for somebody to, uh, you know, write it and produce it and all that. Well, they had a production team, they didn't have a writer, so I sat with the executive producers, and we sat in a room for weeks and watched every single reel over and over again, and finally put together like a structure of uh, what the show should be, like what order the the content goes, what sort of messages we're trying to get out. You know, you want to have like a few different underlying stories going through it. So we composed it, finished it, and I didn't hear about it again for. Uh, for a few years actually. And then the producer reached out and said he had a check for me. <laughs> and <laughs> essentially it was, uh, it was being shown on flights from Johannesburg <laughs> and 
it was in you know school rotations uh, all over the country. Um, it was uh, it's actually available for purchase on Amazon on DVD, uh, and you know we had a lot of fun with it. It was just kind of a silly silly thing to do, but it was you know, I needed to have something that uh, that I was doing with my time and and certain, like you're saying you know like something to get that creative energy out. Uh, I wasn't expecting this to win any awards or anything like that. I just, you know, I, I wanted to put something out there. And, you know, that's what I'd been doing with music for forever. And uh, I've been, you know, I've done a lot of different writing projects and stuff. So this is just a fun way to, to make use of my time. Wow. Well, I love that because, uh, you know, it's one of the things we encourage. There's so many opportunities. And I think that's where I see the world for the entrepreneur today is in that creative, in that content. And when they can learn how to engage platforms, right? Because um, the platforms seem to be evolving and changing all the time. Um, but if you can, if you can understand that, at the end of the day, it's still creative and the content. So, Bill, man, this has been really good time. Um, I, I appreciate you being on the show. As we end today's show, um, if there was somebody in the audience that wanted to learn more about uh, you or Twitch or any of this you know, how would they get in touch with you? How, how, how could they find more information? So, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter with regard to publishing stories about esports and about uh, other elements of, of gaming. Um, so, you know, following me on either of those two platforms is um, an easy way to do that. So I'm, I'm Gazerker on Twitter. That's G-A-Z-E-R-K-E-R. -E um, and then just my name on uh, LinkedIn. Um, if you want to reach out on LinkedIn, I really recommend that you include a note as to why you'd want to be connected. I find that like there's a lot of collectors on that platform, people that are just trying to get their their network up to a certain number. Um, this is another like I think lesson for entrepreneurs out there is uh, you know the the idea of having a giant 10,000 person network is so unappealing to me on LinkedIn. Um, it means nothing. It means that you've basically, you know, sent a lot of invites. Uh, it, if if that's what your network is, it means that it's largely unusable. So, Rick, if you were to ask me for an introduction to somebody in my network that you saw on LinkedIn, I'd actually be able to make that introduction and it'd be a reason that that person would, uh, you know, want to respond because we've done business before together or there's some reason that we have a relationship and a connection. Um, so I, even though, you know, I've got about, I think something like 1600 or 1500 connections on LinkedIn, I know them, you know, like these are people that I, that I interact with and, and stay in touch with for the most part. Um, and, uh, yeah, so if I get a lot of invites from people just cause they see esports in my title and they're, you know, wanting to get involved or whatever, and they just send an invite, never, never do that. Always include a personal note, give some context as to why you want to be connected. Um, it's, in, it's important because, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're trying to put yourself in a position where not only, you know, can you network and, and potentially uh, have somebody in, in, in some place where maybe you'll need something someday, but also they're going to take more of a human approach to you rather than a transactional one. And uh, LinkedIn can get really loud really quickly. Boy, that, that is spot on, Bill. And I appreciate you sharing that because um, it's not a popularity contest, right? It's, it's yeah, exactly, connected. Exactly. Yeah. Great, great information. Well, listen, appreciate you being on the show again. Um, I think this has been fun 
and um, entertaining, and and we've been able to share what I think is, if nothing else, just confirming for our members that look, there's there's technology out there. It's being used. It's being used in ways that maybe as uh, over fifty entrepreneurs, we think, well, that doesn't make sense. But that's a large audience. Um, at that 28 and, and below that are on these platforms and entrepreneurs are finding ways to engage every day um, with that platform. So thanks for being on the show, Bill. And um, for our audience, we appreciate you taking the time to tune in. Again, you've been listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. And until next time, thank you and be safe. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.